Hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and today's guest is none other than actor and writer Matt Williams. Matt is a two-time guest of the podcast and joins us today on the heels of his latest project, a feature film titled These Streets We Haunt. Uh, Previously, Matt starred in the award-winning short film Everyday Yeti, written and directed by Maki Depp, friend of the podcast, by the way, in which he was nominated for Best Actor. Matt also had a supporting role in the feature film Strategy and Pursuit that premiered at the Nashville Film Festival in 2018. In this conversation, we talk about something that happens at some point to every creative, the drought, the dreaded paid gig famine. We talk about why it happens and what to do about it. And of course, it wouldn't be the Make It podcast if we didn't hop off the train at Tangent Station several times to hilarious effect as well. So without further ado, please enjoy this fun and brutally honest conversation with the multifaceted actor and writer, Matt Williams. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film Get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. I am an actor, writer, improviser, etc. And you may know me from, let's see, a lot of people know me from the short film Everyday Yeti, uh, as well as some other some other films. I was in a film called Strategy and Pursuit that screened at the National Film Festival last year, I think. And an upcoming movie that I don't know when this is going to air, but hopefully this movie will be coming out sometime within the next few months or a year called these streets we haunt and you may also know me from episode i don't remember which one from this podcast and i'm happy to be back (laughs) matt welcome back to the make it (laughs) podcast my friend thank you buddy thank you for having me it's so fun yeah anytime mate you know you're one of my favorite people just to hang out with just to talk to in the creative community and um it just seemed like a a natural fit to, to have you on, but, uh, and there is a specific reason why we had you on, um, that isn't necessarily good news for, for me and for you, but should be useful and good <laughs> news for, for our audience. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, but before we jump into that, that's a hell of a name for that, for the movie that's upcoming. That's a great title. Is that a, is that a horror movie? These streets we haunt. So, I, I remember, I think last time I was on here, I kind of plugged that I was starting to film. And it's funny, at the end of this month, we're actually doing pickup shots like almost a year later. Mm-hmm. So that's still happening, but um, hopefully it'll get out relatively soon. It is. It sounds a little more horror than it is. It's more of a thriller, more of a, a sci-fi thriller. So, and I can give you the synopsis too. I don't have permission to do this, but I'm not going to spoil anything, so it's fine. Um, the, yeah, yeah, break the it general down, premise break it is down I'm, for I'm just, us. It, 
Yeah, I'm just a, a regular old guy, you know, kind of mid to late 20s with a nice job, owns a house, and, you know, my life is average, but kind of lonely. And, uh, and I get a roommate, and it turns out she has magical powers, and she's from this crazy magical cult. Oh, and, thank uh, goodness. Left, I, left. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, exactly. I thought you were going to say she has syphilis. And I was like, oh, my God, what a turn. But no, okay, got no, it. No, I can't. She has I'm magical not, powers. I'm not allowed to plug. I'm not allowed to plug that <laughs> film on this podcast. That one's that one's for the podcast I'm doing after this. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and we don't want to talk about that. I don't want to relive the experience. You know, fun, but <laughs> all, right, all right. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I sidetracked you. What, what a what a bastard I am. All right, go nope. ahead. So she's she's no, got magic. She's got magical powers. Yeah, that's. Um, well, well I mean, take us from magical. Take us from magical powers. Yeah. Yeah, she left uh, a sort of a magical cult where they they mm. they kill people. It's an evil magical cult, and she got out of there, and now she's using her powers for good. But she is my roommate, and then of course the movie. That's basically where the movie starts, and the whole movie is my discovering that uh, my roommate's pretty weird, um, but she's also kind of cute, and you know, there's a you know male female lead little dynamic going on also and it's it's very character driven uh dialogue heavy which i love and um good little film so yeah i, I and, haven't and, seen it yet but it was fun yeah and, and it's no secret that you're a, a handsome dude uh oh thank you and and when you get cast people are casting you in part uh because you're great to look at on camera what is your general philosophy take currently in your life on sex scenes? Oh, interesting. Uh, Based on the fact that it sounds like you have a, has you, this, this role sort of has a romantic hook into it. It sounds like. Yeah. And thank you for saying that you flatter me. Uh, but, but you're, you're right in that when you're cast as a leading role and especially character driven roles, which tend to be easier to film at least in the Southeast because they can be cheaper because it's a lot more talking and a lot less, you know, action and special effects. Uh, so you find yourself with this a lot. And when you're in a leading role, there's a, there's romance almost always the, Mm -hmm. without some sort of love story to some degree, it's just not, uh, audiences love it. Right. Um, my general take, I could go a couple different directions with this from, an industry standpoint or the fact that I've got a fiance and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, that's not a, a new story to actors who are in relationships. It's part of the job. And she knows that, uh, as anyone dating an actor should know, it's part of the job. Our job is to tell that story. And the, the best way I can describe it is that it's not me doing it. Uh, it's, it's the character and I'm not any super, uh, I'm going to misuse the actual use of this term, but everyone will know what I'm talking about when I say method. I'm not like the super method kind of guy, but, um, I, I have to put myself in the body of the character as much as possible and tell that story. And if that involves falling in love, then, you know, I'm falling in love that day. Uh, and if it involves, I've never done a sex scene, but you know, some makeout stuff, um, you know, 
that sort of that sort of thing. And the other thing I can tell people is that it's not sexy. <laughs> There's <laughs> if uh, if you see it on on camera, it looks really really hot. But put yourself in that position and now put like a camera guy right in your face and a couple lights and some people standing around and a director going, move your lips to the left. And, <laughs> you know, or so, you know, it's not, it's not sexy. Um, my fiance, her name's Kelsey. Um, we, we got in this discussion recently. She's like, don't tell me it's not fun. I was like, well, <laughs> and a lot I, of people I, can relate to Kelsey's point of view on that. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I, it wasn't a little bit enjoyable. <laughs> right. It can be, it can be, and it can not very much not be too. Um, but I could also see your point where it's very awkward. There's 30 people on set around you. Yeah. You're, you're uh, more like an animal in a zoo than you know, it feels more like that than it feels like, you know, sexy and intimate. It's definitely not intimate, you know, in the, in the same way. N- we think nothing about, about it. Intimate. <laughs> right. It, exactly. Right. Uh, and it's, it's the job of the actor to make it feel that way. Uh, even though it's not, and it's funny. I mean, I think the job of an actor can very generally be summed up as animal in a zoo mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're on set. Uh, they, uh, you know, they keep us in our cages, which are the trailers or, you know, in most cases, the other room, uh, or mm-hmm. apple box. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then it's time and they're like, okay, it's, it's time for the show. Release the lions. And they, and here we come. And they're like, all right, dance, do the thing and, uh, <laughs> play with the, play with the ball for the people. And okay. Back in your cage. That's the job of the actor. That's it. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, back to that. Um, I, I I just tell myself it's part of the job. You you got to treat it like the job, and you have to tell the story to the best of your ability. And I I was in acting class a long, long time ago, and my teacher said, "Listen, you." It wasn't a, a kissing scene or a sex scene, but it was a love scene. And she said, you get to be in love with her. You get mm. to be in love with her for five minutes. Now, that doesn't mean the, at the core of my being, my, I will fall in love with this person. But you get to just pretend. And isn't that what we're doing? Yeah. Yeah. I like that turn of phrase. You get to be. Because you get to fulfill some things as a performer that you wouldn't get to fulfill in your normal life experience. I think that's, that's a pretty cool and and valuable turn of phrase. You know, last time we talked on this podcast, when the conversation we had, you talked about how much time you put into research and study and, and improving yourself. And then you mentioned in that answer about method acting. I'm curious, why aren't you a method actor and have you tried it? Well, um, so I, I feel a, somewhat of a responsibility to, to educate the audience um, because I think the term is misused a lot. Uh, people just use the term method acting to describe someone who just stays in character the whole time when the method is just that. It's a, it's a technique. It's a method of acting that's based primarily in sense memory. So briefly, uh, and I'm, I can't. Uh, subscribe to being a, an expert on this. So forgive me, real method actors and Stanislavski and everyone else. But the, very briefly, it's based in 
um, a good way to describe it is, have you ever had a smell of something uh, and it just brought you back to your childhood or whatever? Like for me, if I smell pine trees, I'm back to camping, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That is what, that's what you're trying to mimic, uh, in with using all five senses at every point in time so that you are completely removed from, you know, Matt Williams, the actor who is standing on set on September 12th or whatever data affairs. Uh, you know, um, and I am Marcus, who's my character in these streets we haunt. And I, you know, live in, in this place and there's magical things happening in front of my face, uh, to get as truthful there as possible using all five senses. And for some people that means remaining in character. And so you can be a method actor and remain in character. Many do, many find that helpful and many, but you, you know, you can also, you don't have to be in character the whole time and stay there. So anyway, that's my, (laughs) that's my really long explanation of how the term is misused, but I, I'd sometimes use it just because everyone knows what I'm talking about mm-hmm. um, in that just just becoming the role, you know. And uh, I mean, ultimately, isn't that the goal of all actors? That's just one technique of getting there. And I have tried I have tried uh, certain the you know, there are books upon books written on the method and I've tried certain things uh, to get me there. Um, but I don't use sense memory or, and I try not to use memory or relating, you know, like, oh, this is sad. So I'm going to remember something sad from my life. Mm -hmm. And therefore that will make this sad because I think that takes me at least out of it. it. It takes me out of character and out of my own head. So I'm trying to remember something. I will use it to kind of get, get worked up before they call action. Maybe, um, but in the moment, I don't find it works. And it takes, you know, it takes years. Uh, every method actor who uh, uses it and believes in it talks about having a breakthrough at some point, And it took them a long time. So I think it can be valuable. Um, it's really just about focus and becoming the character. And I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> well, or just, I mean, or just I, went on a ramble about method. <laughs> we like rambles and tangents around here, but but the I think you answered it seventy five percent of the way. I, you know, I would add on to that and ask, why can't you? Fo- like, is it a desire of yours to do that? And if not, why? Um, it's a desire of the actor to. We, well, we're all going. Well, to, well, I mean, if you specifically right? um, to to do method specifically. Uh, it's just, it's, it's not, I, I have found that, um, imagination, it works better for me, which is, but for lack of a, you know, more sophisticated way to put it, it's just pretending that this is real. Mm-hmm. And my imagination is, it, it can be pretty vast. So that's, that works for me. For some, they need the circumstances themselves to be as real as possible. Um, they need, you know, uh, when someone says, uh, your, your brother died or something, they, you know, that needs to trigger something that fast inside them. Um, that, that makes that real. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's all a way of getting there. It's all a way of, of 
getting as real as possible. Um, I will say a couple techniques I have used and I worked with, uh, a guy, Corey Parker is his name. I think I mentioned him on the last episode we did who he has studied it a lot. He doesn't utilize all of it, but he was walking me through some things where I would basically kind of have a day in the life, maybe for an hour or so of the character. Um, I would wear the clothes he wears, uh, do the job he would do, think of my family as, as his and just live in those shoes, which is what most people think of as method. And there's a lot of that technique in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you're just comfortable. And then when I would get on set, I would, I would look around, I would make a uh, place. It's just, it's just called, you know, in the books, they say, establish your place. Uh, this was my house. So I had to be as familiar with it as possible and make it seem as though it's my house. That sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is, is kind of like I was talking about. If I have to remember something, then I'm remembering that, and that's why I'm sad. And it doesn't work for me as well in the moment. Right. right. Um, now, this is all supposed to happen during prep, right? So, so I go through the script. And I go, okay, when they talk about that, I remember this. And if you do that, if you repeat that enough times, then eventually it will trigger. When they say that, you cry. When they say that, you know, whatever. Um, but I like to leave it a little more open on set. Uh, if, I'm, if I need that to happen, if I'm like, okay, that's my trigger word. They say that, this emotion happens. Uh, if it's that, you know, defined, then I, I, I don't feel as open to honestly. And that's why that, that's why I don't use, uh, all of it as much. Got it. Yeah. That's thorough. I, I appreciate that. That's a good, a good, (laughs) it's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. I I don't, how am I going to bring this back around? Uh, let's see. Where do we go, Matt? Yeah. It's a nuanced thing to try to explain. Uh, you know, it comes to the difference between you imagining what's real versus just your imagination alone based on what's written on the page. Um, but, um, you're also a writer and yes, I've been following this case and I don't know if you've been following it of, uh, Vic Miller, who is the writer of Friday the 13th and the creator of it. And he is trying to, uh, get the rights back uh, um, and sue or arbitrate. I'm not sure what the right, the correct term is. Um, He is trying to get the rights to that franchise back into his work back. Um, And the reason why he doesn't have the rights is, as you know, when you go and write a movie and it gets made, uh, the contract states that you are a contracted uh, employee, um, and that it is a work for hire. So employee is the wrong word. So you're contracted and you, uh, and the, and the entire script is a work for hire. So they pay you write the script and they own the, the final product. Right. 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 And then in turn you get money. And if you're negotiated the right way in the contract, you might get some, some back end. 
That happens sometimes. That happens uh, not all the time, for sure. Um, and then you move on to the next project, and that's sort of the life of a writer. Um, very, very, very broadly put. Uh, but Vic is bucking that system here and doesn't believe that the person or the individual who who has the rights to something or owns the or I'm sorry, created something should lose the rights to that thing. And so um, and, and, and we'll see how this plays out. And the, the ramifications are huge because if he wins, then it renders it's a slippery slope for the WGA. Like there's mm-hmm. no there's no reason for the WGA to actually exist in part if if the writer never loses their rights to the movie to, right. to the thing they write. So I'm curious as a writer, where do you stand on stuff like this? Whew, uh, well, you're getting into into the weeds a little uh, with legal stuff that I'm not super familiar with, and I've also never written anything as a work for hire. Uh, so I've never had to deal with this personally. Um, but philosophically, I love the idea that writers retain, retain their creative. Yeah. And that's, and and, and forgive me, that's where I wanted to go with that. I didn't want you to get into the weeds of it, but just what, what are your feelings about, because both ways seem to work, right? Right. Um, yeah, I, yeah, work for hire is is fine. I uh, I do graphic design uh, and brand strategy, and I so this is this is where I I have dealt with this. Um, I design things as work for hire for people. So if I design you a logo, it's now your logo. You can do with it what you want. Um, and the only rights I have is to say that I did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't turn around and sell that to someone else. And I think that's what it's protecting against. Uh, so even if you, you, as a writer, you got to retain your rights to the creative work, you know, what would stop him from going to four different studios and selling them each a v- version of Friday the 13th, if he still owned them, um, exclusivity probably comes into play again, not a lawyer, uh, right, right. But I, I assume that's what it's protecting against. Um, and so I can, I can see both ways. And, and the other way is, is this, which may take us off topic a little, but it's to this point. Uh, ideas are a dime a dozen. Uh, you know, as, as a writer, I've been told by multiple people, I've read a couple in, a couple times, don't be so precious about your work. Because first of all, someone else probably has the idea too. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not several people, it's probably even been done. That's why uh, we always giggle when people are very, very adamant about yeah. having a sign NDA to just read their screenplay. Yeah, I'm like, what are you protecting? Who am I? What am I going to do? Yeah. Like, well, this is a great idea. This is the next uh, Harry Potter franchise. Um, we're going to turn around and sell this on the basis that no one knows who you are. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, worrying great. about that. Yeah. I, so I like to think of it that way. Um, but that said, if you come up with an idea like Friday the 13th and it's no longer yours and they turn around and bank off it for decades, 
then I don't know. I I think the writer, the creator of that idea should always should always have a stake in the game. They should always have some form of back end. Although for a new writer, you you got to pay your dues. Yeah. No yeah. one knows that. No one knows that it was going to turn into one of the most popular horror franchises of all time. And you know they got to get the movie made. And if they make if they get a movie made and promise a no-name writer with a pretty good idea uh, a bunch of back-end, no one wants to take that risk, which is a whole other topic of conversation, uh, risk mitigation in terms of the big, you know, the big folks, yeah, the and, corner offices. Yeah, but you hear these horror stories about these people who wrote a thing and then something derivative is made from it and... Because that's a new work, even though you it was your idea, they made a derivative work. So so just imagine right. if George Lucas's contract was shittier and uh, he invented Star Wars and right. he got paid for the first one. And then the 14 other Star Wars that came after it, you know, he never saw a dime of it because those are new works and he's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it feels like to prevent that from happening. It feels like you could find a happy medium where it, after a set amount of years, the rights revert back to the writer. hundred uh, percent so, agree. And, and so there's a and, window and for wanna, the studio or the production house to make derivative works. Yeah. And I, I don't want to venture into territory of which I'm unfamiliar, but isn't, doesn't music work like that? Some, something like that. Um, writer, I mean, music's, music, music's writers, different. Music's totally different, but writers have, they get a cut of, of any, any time that song's played, a writer is getting a cut. Exactly. That's not how it works in film though. Yeah. And so, no, not at all. Right. But in, they in seem music, to have the writer kind of is very, very valued. Right. The writer's almost valued more than the artist. Um, like the, the music, the producer and the writer really... Uh, they really get paid over and over and over again. They're like they're 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 in there. Um, right. I look at photography too. Like you know, um, you mentioned logos. Uh, very very good comparison. I like that a lot. Um, because it, it it really crystallizes the issue for people listening. But I look at photos and what photographers will do is they'll they'll let's say let's say I agree to take you know three hundred pictures of you. And Mm -hmm. I agree to do it for free. And the only thing I ask of is in turn that, you know, I own the rights to the pictures. Like you can have the pictures, like you get all 300, do whatever the hell you want to with them, but I own the pictures. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what you see happen across the globe is that those pictures then get turned around and sold to, um, uh, Getty. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. And then which costs, if you want to buy a Getty image, it's like $300. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, and then like there was a case in the last, I think two years where there's this girl who agreed to a photo shoot and she has been placed in over 200 advertisements around the, the globe. Oh and, she's, and she's never seen one penny of it. Wow. Uh, she's, she's literally like a, a recognizable face and a small celebrity in her own right. And is seeing zero dollars of that. 
um, because she didn't own the rights to the picture. The pictures were free and they own the right. And, and so the question really comes down to is, just, is that girl owed anything or is she just in a, in a bad situation? I tend to take the stance of, uh, listen, she should have known that going in. <laughs> uh, I, truly, uh, legally, she's not owed anything. Uh, but, but philosophically, because again, we're not philosophically. Lawyers, philosoph- is she owed any? Like, in your, do you think she should get something for her likeness being I used? Do. Philosophically, I do. Uh, I can't. I mainly because I can't come up with a counter argument as to why she shouldn't. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because we you know we're going through this with Facebook now. There's a lot of different cases. One predominant one I, for sure, where you know Facebook has a right to your likeness, but to what degree do they get to use that without your consent? Right. Yeah. Right. You know, so we're in this crazy age in 2019 where you know just about everything is filmed, everything is watched. Um, uh, I was. Uh, I think I was listening to this on Rogan last week about how every home now has a, has a, you know, a lot of these houses have ring doorbells. That Got are, one myself. Right. So, and so you know very well that it didn't film just five feet outside your porch. It films all the way into the street and across the street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so everything that's happening in front of your house is being actively recorded. And if everybody has that, then everything on that street is being recorded. Right. right. So, so who has the right to that video? Because right now those videos are stored in the cloud by a company. And I would assume that ring has the right to those videos. Like they own. Yeah. Them. Yeah. I, I so would if they sell those, too. if they sell those videos to some uh, marketing firm or if they sell it to a research group or if they sell it to the NSA, uh, do we have a right to say, Hey, damn it. I didn't want you to do that. You know, or is it our, is it our bad for not reading the contract? Uh, I would say personal responsibility certainly comes into it. So part of it is our bad. Part of this entire conversation, the reason we're having this conversation is our bad. Mm-hmm. I, at the same time, I think where I lie is there needs to be a lot more done about transparency. So if we buy a ring, we don't have to click 17 boxes and read the fine print that takes 300 pages um, and is in legalese. We shouldn't have to do that to know our rights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes. if, if Ring wants to say, we own this shit, it's not yours, and we can do what we want with it, they can say that, and I'm comfortable with them saying it as long as, you know, it's right in my face, and I know that upon buying a Ring, uh, or getting my pictures taken, or, you know, writing a script, transparency. Uh, hey, listen, this isn't your idea anymore. If we make a derivative work off of it, you're not getting anything. Maybe yeah. that means I then I then have the option whether or not to sell it to you. Yeah, and I think there also needs to be transparency around the capability of the technology. Like, I don't think anybody buys a TV with, um, you know, um, Alexa in it with the intent of Alexa always being on, even when you don't call on her. I don't think anybody buys an iPhone and full well knows that Siri is listening to everything you say. And I don't think anybody would buy a ring doorbell. They might have some sense and understanding that it has a microphone in it, but what is the intent of the use of the microphone? Like, so we, we tend to 
give these companies benefit of the doubt, and we can't be sure that the microphone isn't always live. Yeah, that's a, that's another good point. Yeah, transparent. Right. I'm sitting right. next so transparency to an, around. I'm it, sitting you know? next to an Alexa right now. She's going to beep. Uh, oh, she didn't. Uh, so. Yeah, this podcast, it's not yours anymore, Chris. Uh, it's not It's not mine. <laughs> Jeff Bezos has it, this whole conversation. He's recording it right now. Jeff Bezos has us all, my friend. Uh, that's true. Let's just lean into it. Uh, <laughs> let's, get it let's, get a, let's get a cut of his wife's alimony. I was on Forbes. Was it Forbes? No, it was on Bloomberg the other day. And uh, she's the 21st richest person in the world. <laughs> that's funny i knew that was gonna happen but i never isn't that great it. doesn't that make yeah. you feel like a piece of shit <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like you work your whole life you're being creative you got big ass races to dreams and man yeah. she just she she just she just married the right dude she divorced well she divorced well like it was like once once amazon took off she had already she just called the lawyer yeah it's like she, it's, sent, she sent the girls to Jeff Bezos's office. She's like, yeah, uh, it's it's happening. He's let's, only human. Let's make this happen. Yeah, get 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 the papers together. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> like, like it's just amazing. Now, in fairness, in fairness, uh, Lorraine uh, Powell Jobs or what's I forget her. I think that's her name. She's. In the top fifty as well, richest people in the, she, in the yeah. Room. Now we we find it a lot more uh, honorable because uh, Steve Jobs passed away and and they were together and that seems like it makes sense. Yeah, but she didn't build Apple. Uh, she she didn't she didn't she didn't. <laughs> but and she but, had to put up with his shit. <laughs> right, but we get the sense that it was his choice to give the money away. Like I don't think Jeff would give oh, her that point. much money if if he had his. Druthers, you know, but, and, and the real facts around it is, is he had an extramarital affair and, and that's what money will do too. When you get all that money, you're like, I don't got to be with this woman. I can do <laughs> literally whatever I want. <laughs> yes. Like this woman, this woman tried to keep me from making Amazon for like 20 years. Yeah. Now, and, now, and, and now I finally did it despite her and, you know, let me go find some happiness in these streets. Yeah. <laughs> I like it reminds me of that um and plus guys are just different guys are just different animals dude like um what's that uh, Patrice O'Neill joke where he's like um he's like you know women are good people like if 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 somebody came up to a woman and said okay I got Brad Pitt here I've got Denzel Washington here you know you've got your husband you got your kids you got your family you know do you love your family and the woman would say yeah I love my family Okay, uh, would you give up your family and your husband to have sex and you know with Brad Pitt or Denzel Washington? Like, no, you know they look good and they're they're handsome and all and powerful. And but no, it's not worth it. I wouldn't. You know, I love my family, right? Right. And then he's like, now you turn to a guy and say, hey, you know, you got your wife, you got your kids, you love your family. And the guy said, yeah, 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 I love my family, love my family. He said, now see that woman passed out over there behind the dumpster. Yeah. <laughs> would you would you risk your family to sleep right. with that? But she looks so good passed out. Oh and my god! I, so that's what this, guys are like. Guys, guys are we're we're wired differently. In, indeed. Well, two things, two quotes come to mind. The first 
I remember Robin Williams saying it. I don't know if it originated with him. He said, uh, God or creator, whatever you believe in, he created a man with a penis and a brain and not enough blood to work both at the same time. That's great. Uh, so that's a good one. My, the second quote is from my father who would tell me both my parents would tell me this before I left the house when I was in high school, uh, I'd say I'm going out and they say, all right, think with your big head. <laughs> I always do. as you grab uh, your crotch, yeah, yeah, all that, all that to say, we've just got, we, we've got another brain working. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. I just, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know what? You no know, man was ever cold blooded enough to do surgery on the on the head of a penis, so we don't know there could be a small brain in there. That's a, you know, what's a circumcision then? Exactly. Well, that's just the skin. <laughs> that's just <laughs> that's just making your that's just making your dick pretty. That's just nice. That's aesthetic. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Un- uncircumcised but, penises look like those things you get at fairs that are full with the filled with the water gel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That you had as a kid. And, yeah. And, yeah. And all it is like, all you can do is like, like shake it like you're jerking it or take your fingers through it like a perv. And which we did, which we did both of those. Right. No, it was just, it, it was practice. Yeah, Cause that's Different what it practice. was. Cause let's be yeah. honest. If you were a teenager, like 12 or so, and you had one of those, you, you stuck it in. You tried. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Come on. <laughs> they, they are conveniently like sized. Like it could have, like what they, the hell they, else is it supposed to be for? Yeah. And it's, it, they serve no, they serve no purpose. Anyway, uh, again, feel, the, the tangent King has struck. So my, my, holy crap. my, my apologies to, to the audience, but, but I did want to jump into this subject. Um, as, as a way to sort of bring this, this conversation home, because uh, you were honest and you always are honest and transparent, but you were honest and transparent enough with me to say, as hey, though that last conversation wasn't perfect evidence of that. Go yeah, ahead. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, that, the Segway King. Uh, so um, segueing perfectly into this honesty, transparency, uh, you told me, Hey, not a lot going on right now. You know, uh, looking for gigs, yeah. wanting to audition, wanting to book things. And one thing we haven't talked about on this podcast uh, with our guests ever, I don't think, is what do you do uh, when you're in that? We, we, we use the cliche feast or famine when it comes to the entrepreneurship that comes behind being a creative. And when you're in a famine period, how do, how do you stay sharp? So I'm curious about that first thing. So, um, how do you, how do you fall into famine mode? Um, and then once you're in there, how do you stay, how do you personally try to stay sharp with your craft? Sure. There's actually kind of a lot to unpack there. So I, I'm lucky in that I have multiple interests, multiple things that I do, uh, at any given time. Um, and, and, and that includes the graphic design stuff. So I can always mm-hmm. fall back on that as long as clients are coming in. Um, but that, you know, that's another feast and famine thing too, cause I'm completely freelance. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm lucky to have a lot so I can always find something, but what was the first question again? What, Just how do you, I, how, how do you find yourself or, or realize how, I'm happen? in a famine? Yeah. How does it happen? Um, 
you know, it's, it's unpredictable. I, you never know. I tend to blame myself when it does fairly or unfairly. It's probably more unfairly, but I'm pretty hard on myself that I didn't do enough work on the front end to be pro for a famine for continuing with that, that, that term terminology. So I, you know, I think everyone can relate to when it's feast time, when things are going well, you get a little cozy, which means I don't write as much as I should. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm busy doing the work, so I don't, um, I, I I don't prepare, I don't study or, you know, with graphic design stuff, I'm not, or, or with acting stuff too. I'm not out networking. Uh, I'm not trying to drum up new business. I'm not updating my reel and my resume and doing those little steps that, that can get you work in the future because I don't need it now. Right. That I think is how it happens. Um, or at least that's, that's the self deprecating part of how it happens. But ultimately you can't control it. I, you know, it used to be you'd have pilot season and things like that and things kind of taper off around the holidays. You know, there's cyclical things that you can predict. But now, first of all, pilot season doesn't exist anymore really because of streaming. And second of all, it's unpredictable anyway. I actually – I've had a crazy – since I texted you that, you were like, anything you want to promote? I was like, I don't have – no. I, like I haven't been working. I've had – in the last couple of weeks, a ton of auditions and a couple jobs. Um, but nothing, nothing I want to promote. I mean, they're, they're dumb little commercial things, uh, regional and not even this region, you know, no one will ever see them. Uh-huh. And, um, and to be honest, to be honest, keeping with this honesty, you know what I don't know. I did yesterday. I, uh, I was a hand model for, <laughs> I, I held a crayon. And that's it. They took pictures of it for, but, and and I don't mind saying this either. I got paid. Well, I won't say the exact amount, but it was a couple hundred bucks and I was there for less than an hour. Um, so you pulled a George Costanza and and (laughs) left there, left there talking about how creamy and milky your hands are. It was a hundred degrees yesterday and I was wearing gloves to protect these babies. (laughs) (laughs) These are my money makers right now. <laughs> uh, so, so, but back to your point, um, part of what I, the, your second question, part of what, uh, I tend to do when that's the case is say yes to things I wouldn't otherwise say yes to. Mm. That's always an option. Yes. Um, and, but, but before that, before, you know, this, this uptick, I didn't, there were a couple weeks where I hadn't heard from my agent for a while. Um, you know, this movie is now in post-production, so I don't know what's going on there. Uh, I'm not in acting class right now. I out of literally out of improv classes to take. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and I haven't been, I, I'm not on a house team at third coast comedy, so I don't have a, a regular performance schedule. So I didn't have that. Um, and even the graphic design stuff, I was in between, uh, in between jobs, I finished a bunch up for some clients and then just had nothing. So there was a couple weeks and I was depressed, man. Like I, it took, 
it took all my energy to get out of bed and get off the couch and stop taking naps and mm. actually try to start doing stuff. Uh, that happened. And in the art, especially when you're relying on other people to employ you, that that's tough. Yeah. And all you can do is, is anything, <laughs> anything you can do. I actually, it's funny. I just finished reading the war of art, which yeah, I think you've, one. yeah, you've mentioned before. Uh, it's been recommended. I I'm late to the game of even reading it, but it was amazing. And they mm-hmm. talk about how it's war. It's going to, it's fighting through. You're not going to get hired every single day. You're not going to have a spurt of creativity every day. In fact, the times that that isn't happening is probably much more often than the times yeah. when it's good. So you just got to grind through. If you're a writer, sit down and fucking write. Uh, but even if it sucks, um, your website, you can ask, you know, call, call up Chris Barkley and say, let's grab a cup of coffee. What you, what you got going on? Yeah. It's, it's not going to get you a job that day. Probably. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what you got on the table, Chris. Right. <laughs> always, always down to ask. Well, that's I a good, so. that's a good segue because I was going to ask, you know, when you're in these places, what type of work are you looking for and what type of work do you think is the best type of work to go after to get yourself out of the famine and back into sort of towards feast mode? Well, I, are you talking about me specifically? Um, well, and which which industry? <laughs> yeah, yes, but yes, but generally also, and specific to film. Like, are you? Is it? Are you taking any job, or is there a specific type of job that that's the right kind of job you should take to get yourself out there and let's say off the couch and avoiding those those depressing moments that keep you in the house? Is um, is it commercials? Is it film work? Is it shorts? What what? Um, what kind of work would you recommend looking for to get back on track? Honestly, so much of that has to do with confidence. Uh, Cause you can go into this brain spiral of, you know, I'm not booking jobs. Therefore they don't like me. I'm not good enough. Uh, you, you know, I, whatever you tell yourself that is ultimately not true. Uh, so for me, if I, even if I get a callback, if I go in just the other day, I went into an audition and there must've been, it was like cattle call. So it was taking place over eight hours. I went once and there was 50 people in the waiting room. So I left and came back. There was 40 people in the waiting room and I'm like, Oh Jesus. Uh-huh. And I went in and I did my thing and I'm like, whatever, We're gonna, you know, I'm one six foot tall brunette white guy among many <laughs> uh, and I got, and I got a call back and I don't need to get the job. I'd love the job. That'd be great. But if I don't, I'm still like, okay, I stood out enough to get the call back. And I've never taken not getting jobs personally. Cause I, especially commercial work. Cause I know they're just looking for a, a very specific thing mm-hmm. and I can't help those specific things. Um, with that's with commercials. With acting, there's always things you can do. They always say go in and prove that you deserve this role. Or in the case of some people I know, they've gone in and done such a great job. They were like, well, you're not right for this role, but we wrote your role. Um, that can happen in acting. So being prepared to do that is key. 
Uh, in terms of the types of jobs I get most excited about, uh, independent is basically the, the movie that you, you guys create and, and that I just, I, I finished up, uh, independent stuff that kind of lets me play and shine. And I don't mean that as like the star, I mean, uh, you know, work, work out my chops and just have fun, dig into a character and do all this. Um, you know, I, it's frankly, it's the jobs that don't pay or, or don't pay as well that when I get to, when I get to go play, you know, when I get to perform, that's, that keeps me going in that, in the middle of my dry spell, uh, this is several months ago, but it, um, I got asked to do an improv show, uh, completely randomly. And the format was a, a comedian, a standup would go and tell about a 10 minute story. And then improvisers would go up and based on their premises that they, then their jokes, we'd improvise a bunch of scenes. I had such a blast that night that that must've kept me going for a month <laughs> Right. that I was like, I, I got to go perform and play. Yeah. So last time uh, we talked, you were you were just getting your feet wet. Hey, you just started doing the improv thing, and uh, I take it that went well, and and you you loved it, and uh, it it makes me that along with something you said just a moment ago. Um, I'm curious as an actor, how do you know, and and even in terms of improvisation and comedy, how do you know when you're good? How do you know that? <laughs> As an actor. Well, with improv and comedy, if the audience laughs, uh, and that's why I love that aspect of performing because there is direct feedback. You, you know, if a joke landed because there's a laugh. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, sure. uh, so that's, you know, there, there's a direct interface with, with the audience, with an actor, yeah, because you talked got, about you talked about confidence. Like, how do you yeah. how do you know you're good, where you can develop that confidence? And and when was the first time you said to yourself? Uh, I keep adding questions. When is the first no, time you, okay. you you said to yourself, "I'm talented. I'm I'm good at this." People told me, mm. and that may be a personal thing too. Cause, um, I don't know if you've done like a love language test or anything, but mine I have, yeah. is far and away words of affirmation. <laughs> uh, I need, I, I need people to tell me that they love me and that, I, and that I do well. And so anyone, even any formal, like a formality of good show, man. Uh, that, I like that. Um, my very first acting class I ever got in, I, I, we talked about sort of, you know, my, my history and why I chose to take it in the first place. We talked about that last time. So I was like nervous and not really knowing what I was doing in my first acting class. And after the scene was over, the teacher said, okay, so you've acted before. And I was like, Oh no, I haven't. But, uh, thanks for saying that. That's good. That's a good starting point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you, you know, you have a couple good scenes and you go out for drinks. That's always my favorite part of, uh, you know, performances or even class or anything is, uh, the, the, the discussion afterwards, 
and people just they told me I was I was good every once in a while and that would keep me going to the next time and I don't know I feel like I also have a a high standard of myself and sort of a personal gauge of where I am uh oh who was it uh I know, I know you probably know this quote. Um, it's a guy who, who does a show on NPR, but basically what he says is, uh, any artist, they, they, when they start creating art, they start because they have a standard of what they love about art. And the standard is high. You love the best people. And when you first start, you're nowhere close to that standard. You have good taste. Uh, and, you're not close to that yet. So all you are doing is forcing yourself to be better because you know, you're not up to your own taste. And so that's sort of, that's what I've got going in my head a lot. I think it's crazy that you said the word taste right there, because I was really about to interject and say that. And you took the word right out of my brain. That was incredible Ah, because, uh, and I, but I'll say this, uh, as someone who meets with creatives a lot or meets with people and, and on both sides of the table, so the creative side and the business side on a regular basis, there is no bigger waste of time. There is no bigger frustration in the world of creativity than having to have a conversation and a debate with someone that has no taste. When someone right. has, like, like <laughs> I, just, I just don't have the energy and I don't have the time to tell you, you know, you know why Aronofsky's great. Or, you know, right. I don't have the time or the energy to, you know, explain to you why Fiona Apple's theme song on The Affair is the best theme song of all time. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like, and if you don't like it, it's like, it's not an indictment of, of you or of her. It's an indictment of you or an indictment of me, rather. It's an indictment of you. Like, like, and I don't have time and I don't want to insult you. So it's just a massive waste of time all the way around. Um, and I'm always shocked when someone, uh, dislikes something that's so obviously well done. Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh simply, simply based on something political or something, some shortcoming they have in their own personality. Yes. Um, well, it's, uh, I mean, you're, you're kind of getting dangerously close to, uh, separating the art from the artist. But, uh, but you're, you're right. Cause yeah. Cause people come in with their own bullshit and, uh, and yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and anyone who sees, I'm trying to think of a, of a good example. They're like, mm, I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. It wasn't entertaining. I'm like, that is a masterpiece. I don't, <laughs> right. I'm, um, well, I'm thinking, you know, someone, so someone said, what was the point of once upon a time in Hollywood? Uh, <laughs> Uh, like it was long and it, it just like all the scenes were like half an hour long and it just took place over like, I mean, I guess effectively two days mm-hmm. and I don't want to give up the ending for those who haven't seen it. Um, but it's fucking wild, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's basically been my talk track on it since I saw it. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. Ago. Um, yeah. and most people I know, I know loved it, but there a couple people are like, yeah, it was okay. I mean, it was entertaining. It, it was fun to watch all those actors together, but you know, Margot Robbie wasn't in it for, for very long and she wasn't naked this time. Like I just didn't, uh, you know, I didn't like it. And I was like, 
are you kidding? Right. Yeah. It's it's uh, great. It should be up for movie of the year. And uh, yeah, I think our friend Wes Powers didn't like it that much. And I just I've said it before. I love Wes. I just think he's wrong. Uh, well, it's, yeah. it's fun. I've gotten in similar arguments with Wes. Uh, does he like anything? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say like Jurassic Park or something like the, the last Jurassic Park or I could be oh, wrong really? with that. I don't want to misquote him. I don't want to misquote him, no. but, but, but uh, I'm sure he likes a lot of things. Yes. I, no, I'm sure he does too. Uh, but he's also, he comes from a very interesting perspective because he's an editor. So he, that's true. He comes at it from that lens, which is a very different lens than anyone. He's probably looking at, you know, color nuances and cuts and things that you and I wouldn't notice, or you know, maybe if they were weird or something, we notice. But uh, you know, he probably sees things we'll never see. Yeah, he might. He might have a whole different perspective on movies. So, uh, I'll have to, you know, I'll have to get him back on here. We'll talk about that and we'll argue for uh, 50 minutes to an hour and that'll be great. Didn't uh, he have his own <laughs> podcast where that was like the whole thing they, they would watch movies and then he would, uh, just, they'd just talk about it. And yeah. It's him and, uh, Joey bags and, and, yeah. uh, Kevin Allen, I think, um, the poor man's movie review. I've always told people the- like, to go to that and listen to that. Uh, but Wes isn't on there all the time. Oh, he's not. Okay. So, well, so, so, yeah. uh, I wanted to plug it. So thank you for reminding me of the name. That's the plug right there. And yeah, speaking, there of the, speaking of the plug, you're the plug. I appreciate you uh, hopping on this uh, call and having this conversation with me. It's always a blast. You've been so generous with your time. Um, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and on the internet. Yeah. Thank you, man. And uh, thank you for your time too. It's been great coming back and I mean, I'll come back anytime. Uh, where you can find me, my website is mattwilliamsonline.com. That's for all acting things. And that'll link to socials. I'm not great at the socials. Um, (laughs) I don't know. You can follow me if you want to, (laughs) and you'll find them there. What is your social? Let's see. Instagram. It's Matt Williams, Inc. I N C. Uh, I believe it's the same for Twitter, Facebook. It's Matt Williams online, like the website. Yeah. And my, my other website, which is designated to graph design stuff, but it's become more of a blog. I've started blogging and writing a lot. I do one every week is Matt Williams, creative.com. Oh, awesome. I'll, I'll bookmark that. Um, thanks. So yeah, I mean, I mention acting and improv quite a bit in those articles, but I kind of just write about uh, whatever I'm feeling, I, I talk about, you know, themes of success and, you know, thing about freelancing and, and, you know, kind of whatever, um, whatever I feel like. So, uh, but you know, acting and film, those get, those get mentions quite a bit on there, but that's the other one. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to take a read of that and then look at that, uh, very, very soon, probably tonight. And um, I'll leave you with, with this thought. Uh, I read a post uh, from Corby Linker, who's a folk singer and, and uh, is the creator and, and lead in the web series Morse Code, which is sneaky good. And uh, at the end of I'll one look of that up. Yeah. Sarah Antonio is in it. And um, oh, yeah, that's why I've heard of that. OK, I yeah. have not seen one, but I will definitely go check that out. Yeah, it's sneaky good. It's 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 good. And he's been sort of on a walkabout of late, 
um, after some personal tragedy and, and he had a post, uh, and at the end of it, he said that, um, and I'm paraphrasing is that he's only interested in art from artists that have nothing to lose. And I'm thinking about that for a while. What, what is your take on that? Do you think that's fair? Oh, I love it. Uh, well, first of all, art is right. So, uh, I'd say what you're interested in is subjective. That's personal, especially when it comes to art. So if he's only interested in that sort of art, great. I might, I might even, I might even get behind that really. But, uh, you know, tons of people with plenty to lose create great art also. Um, but I think I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think part of what he's trying to say is he's interested in the most raw, honest art imaginable. And that's when that happens. Mm, Very good. Uh, so yes. And you know, if you can figuratively get naked in front of your audience as an artist, because they're, you just don't care because there's no reason not to, they will respond in a big way. And that's the, that's what creates the best art. And isn't that what we're all striving to do? Yeah. That's a beautiful way to end it, man. Um, Matt, thank you so much again for your time. Of course, you're always welcome back where we can talk about comedy, acting, feast and famine, penises, dicks, yep, yep. all that stuff. We, we no one does that quite like us. And you know, we done coffee. <laughs> it it is bunch. funny the uh, the roller coaster we just ran on. <laughs> we did, we did, and we talked about that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think we talked about a lot more than that. Uh, sex yeah. scenes, whatever. And yeah. uh, oh, we, they talked about like the the notion of what art is and. Art with nothing to lose, and and remember that time Matt stuck his dick into his toy when he was fourteen. <laughs> that's sure to be a, a hit right there. So uh, I appreciate the candor and uh, so much fun. Uh, like there's I said, your pull quote. <laughs> That's good. That'll be it, right? Right above your, <laughs> right above your picture. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, dang. Now, see, now you made me lose it. Um, I'm sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. Audio Veritas here, like I always say. And uh, I love you, man. I appreciate your time. And uh, we'll go do some bourbon. How yes. about that? Yes, please. Instead of coffee. Well, we'll do both that, coffee and then bourbon. Or, or at the same time. And Coffee cigars. and our bourbon. And cigar. We, we oh, thought yeah. about cigars last time we were together, and it just didn't happen for whatever reason, but oh. uh, let's do it. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Love you, buddy. Thank you very much. L- love you too, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film 
and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.